Catherine, and I'm an alcoholic. Um, Wow. I didn't expect this many people. I know you're not here for me, but I am really grateful that you're here. Um, Congratulations to those who got to take your trips tonight, and I hope you keep coming back every day to experience another day living sober. Um, Congratulations for getting your one-year chip and for contacting that central office and showing how apparent it is the central office be there for us and that the alcoholic is behind that line ready to help us. You know, I'm supposed to be here to tell you what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. And for me, what it was like was I think I was born with an abnormal mind. You know, they talk about how we have an abnormal mind. Well, mine was, and still is, can be very abnormal. Um, I think alcoholically. And I started doing that before I even took my first drink. My brain did not think like others. And by the time, and I, and I never felt like I fit in anywhere with any of the kids. I mean, who's in kindergarten sitting there over in the corner thinking, oh, I don't fit in? Um, including into my own family. I, I, I don't know why. They, I don't think they did anything to make me feel like I shouldn't fit in. But for some reason, my brain didn't allow me, my perception of who I was didn't allow me to feel like I fit in. So by the age of 11, um, my, my father was military, and we traveled a lot. So that meant that I got to go around a lot trying to fit in with this brain that never allowed me to feel like I fit in. So that was, that, you know, that was a pretty um, tough thing to do. So by the time I was uh, 11 years old, I had moved from, back from Europe where I had grown up and tried to fit into a new way of life and a new way of culture and um, started hanging out with some people that I felt like I fit in with and their idea of fitting in was to hand me a bottle of Jack Daniels and a handful of side items and say, do this and do this and, and, and you'll be, you know, you, have, you can have some fun with us. So that's exactly what I did. I thought, oh, you know, I can always use some fun. So I did this and I did this and um, it felt good. And, you know, for the first time, I thought, you know what? This is what I need. And I continued to do it. It went down good. It tasted good. I did not have to acquire a taste for alcohol. No. Um, it went down good. And the more I drank, the better I felt and the more I felt like I fit in. And that perception of myself of feeling like I wasn't pretty enough, smart enough, um, outgoing enough, um, anything enough, you know, that feeling slowly but surely slipped away. And I found out what it was going to take for me to become the person that I had always thought I wanted to be. And so for me, at the age of 11, I started drinking alcoholically. My brain immediately wanted it Constantly, I started discussing over it every single day. And from the age of 11 for the next 18 years, I drank on a daily basis. Um, <clears throat> I would drink to the effect, I would drink to pass out, and eventually I drank and blacked out constantly. And, um, you know, it's a progressive disease, and I found out that's what it is here as a disease. It doesn't mean I'm a bad person. It means I have a disease. And... The things that I did made me feel bad, made me feel like I wanted to, made me feel like when I woke up and had to look at myself in the mirror, I was very filled with shame and remorse and guilt and, and pretty much hatred by the end. You know, I pretty much hated myself. And, um, because the choices I was making while I was out there drinking and using, um, weren't really smart choices. 
and put me in some really bad positions and, and, and into some really bad places and with some people that I probably shouldn't have been around. Um, but the whole thing of it for me was I, I came from a family where you were pretty much expected to be perfect, and then that family's still there. The only difference is, is that I don't feel like I have to be perfect anymore. Um, but back then, not knowing any different, I felt like I had to be perfect. And, you know, I would get things like from my father, oh, you got a C this year in that class. You must take it again. It's not an A. So I had to take it over again the next year. And um, um, that's just a really brief example of it. And so the more I couldn't fit in and the more I felt like I couldn't be perfect enough, um, the more I drank. And But I was an overachiever. And how that got accomplished for myself from listening to other people who talk, I really don't know. I, I have no idea. Because I was drinking daily. I was drinking at school. I was drinking at home. I was drinking in church. I was drinking pretty much anywhere I was. And But I was still able to accomplish things in my life. I still was able to get um, through high school. I was still able to get through college. I was still able to get through a job. Um, working up the corporate ladder, that's all I ever wanted to do. I did not have a career mind in set, so I went and got a business degree. So I could just go out and wear a suit, carry a briefcase, and have an office, and that's what I did. And, um, and for some reason, I was capable of doing this at the same time drinking myself into blackouts. And a lot of times I don't remember where I woke up. I don't know who I was with. I don't know where I was. Um, and the friends that I used to drink with, I, I would go out with them and I would drink, and they always wanted to leave around 2-ish, which seemed a little early to me. And so I would continue on and let them go home. And that's how I ended up places where I, uh, I wasn't sure where I was because I would let them go. I never wanted to drive um, at first, and I, I would just let them go, and I would end up with people I did not know because the drink became more important than my safety. The drink became more important than coming going with the people that I came with. And um, and eventually that drink just became more important than everything in my entire life. And the only way I knew how to function was to drink, to be able to deal with life, to be able to deal with those feelings that I did not want to have, those emotions that, that I was so, so trying to smush away. And so as I was, you know, going through life, you know, I can remember doing things like, one of the moves that we made was from Tennessee to North Carolina, and I was a freshman in high school. And my sister was in high school with me. She was three years older than me. We'd go, and we'd go into this high school. I was in the ninth grade. She was in the twelfth grade, and I looked at her, and I said, okay, I, I, first day of school, I said, where do you think we should go? Where, where should we go hang out? And we're looking around, and she sees this guy walk by with a marijuana leaf on his uh, T-shirt, and she goes, we'll follow him. <laughs> I was like, sounds good. So we found where we were supposed to be. And those are exactly the people that we were supposed to be with because they had exactly the things that I wanted. And um, so during the course of high school, though, you know, my sister was doing that same thing, but then there became an apparent difference between the two of us. And the difference was is she decided that that wasn't working for her anymore. And she quit, just like that. And I thought, okay, cool, you know, that's for you, but that's not for me. So she continued to watch me, and eventually, you know, in high school, she came up and she said, and now granted, at this time I was uh, in the mm, 10th grade, and she said, you know, I, I think you should probably do the same as me. I think you should t- probably, you know, quit doing that stuff. It, it seems to be affecting your life. And um, and I, at first, said, oh, okay, I can do that. And I found out at that point that I couldn't. I tried, and I couldn't stop. And it was the obsession it was the inability to live life without it. Um, 
And I can remember sitting there thinking, I wish I could be one of those people that gets themselves in trouble. I was so paranoid about getting in trouble because of my family. And um, and I did. I, I wanted to be one of those that got locked up. I wanted to be one of those that got hauled away. I wanted to be one of those that got suspended from school because I think in my mind I thought those were the only people that got help and that people like myself were not able to get help. But the only difference I know now today is that I didn't let people know that I needed help. And the biggest person I didn't really let know that other than that one split second was I didn't really acknowledge it to myself how desperately I needed help. And because by high school I had gotten to the point where I was just like that person they talk about in the book. I did not know how to live life drinking, but I did not know how to live life without drinking. I had gotten stuck. I had nowhere to turn. And so um, so I just continued on, and, and it became an irrelevant issue to myself again. And, I, and at that point, I really didn't recognize that I had a problem. I never in my life could figure out at that point or any point until I got here that my troubles in my life and the tornadoes that I was experiencing in my life were even connected with the alcohol at all. I just thought this is life and this is alcohol and they're two separate issues. So I just continued on. And, um, you know, and I, did, I did stuff like, um, I think the hardest thing that I've ever experienced in my drinking career would probably be that after my son was born, um, while I was pregnant, he pointed this out to me um, because I would always talk about how I drank every single day until I stopped drinking. And the truth is, is I didn't drink during my pregnancy. I became extremely insane but I didn't drink. I was very miserable, but I didn't drink. But the minute I had Alan and I came home, I handed that boy to his father, just, I mean, without any care, any reservations, just like, here, you take him, and I went and got my alcohol, and I was back and running again. That's all I could think about. The minute they said, you can go home now, my thought was, I can go home now, and I can have my drink back. That was my first thought. Not the excitement about bringing my son home. Not the excitement about that I'm a new mother. My thought was, I get to drink again. And I find out, I, you know, I found out that's not normal. I didn't know that wasn't normal. I, I thought everybody drank the way I drank. I've been drinking since I was 11. And I did not know that wasn't normal. So, um, so then it just, you know, progressed to getting worse. And um, I would do things like, and I had, I, well, I, I didn't consider myself a person who drank and drove because I wasn't driving and drinking at the same time. I would drink a whole bunch and then get in the car <laughs> and go wherever it was I was going and then drink some more. So, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, I'm not drinking and driving, you know. Um, but, you know, it's kind of, um, you know, I find out now that, yeah, I was drinking and driving. So um, so those are the kinds of things I have to admit about myself today. And the, the thing of that is, though, is I would drink and drive and um, in blackouts. And I had no problem drinking and driving. That's just, I think, because I justified it in my head I wasn't doing that. This just was never an issue. But it became an issue, and I didn't recognize it until I got into sobriety. But, you know, there is a really big issue at the fact that a mother of a newborn child would drive in a car in a blackout and end up at home and the next morning thinking when I wake up, oh, my God, how did I get home once again? How did I get home? Did I actually drive the car home? And I go and look, and, yes, the car's there, and it's in one piece. And then the next thought is, did I bring my son home? 
Did I leave him somewhere? I, I, I don't remember if I had my, I don't believe I had Alan with me. And I would panic and I would have to go and see if he was in his crib. Um, you know, you would think that under normal circumstances, which I'm not a normal circumstance kind of gal, that I wouldn't do that again. But you know what? That's the insanity of the disease. I kept doing it over and over again. The drink had become more important than anything else. And, um, you know, um, I can remember when I said that. My, my son, by the way, this, this is my son. He has a year of sobriety. <laughs> so, so when I say my son and I keep looking over here, that's him. And, um, and that's one of the benefits about being sober. I get to be here and I get to watch my son get a year of sobriety. And, and that, and that, I can't tell you, after, after feeling like the mother that I was, I get to be the mother today that I've always wanted to be. Not the mother that couldn't find her son because she was in a blackout and not remembering if she brought him home or not. You know, that kind of stuff. And, um, okay, that totally distracted me. Um, <laughs> so, um, so anyway, you know, that's the kind of things that I used to do when I would drink. You know, there's, um, I mean, it's just, I could stay here for three days and talk to you guys about things that I used to do. And, you know, but I would do things, you know, alcoholically thinking, I can remember um, that there was a Christmas when I first moved out of, okay, real quick, before I was living in Denver and I had lost my job, lost my marriage, which was okay, but I lost my marriage, lost my home, I was in financial ruins, should have gone into bankruptcy, um, you know, pretty much I didn't have anything left, but my brain's telling me I still have it all going on, and I took my mother to talk me into, and thank God for my mother. You know, thank God for my mother because she was the only person left in my life that would even realistically have anything to do with me other than my son who was only three and loved me unconditionally. You know, no matter what I did to him, he was still going to love me. And um, so those are my two people in my life at that point. And um, so she talks me into moving here to California with her because I basically had nothing and this woman's having to beg this alcoholic person to come and live with her so, so I can get my act together. So I finally gave in and I came and moved here to California in November of 1994. And um, one of the conditions of living with my mother was that I couldn't drink in her house. So needless to say, you know, I agreed to it because I didn't want to live on the street and that's realistically where I should have been. I should have had DUIs, I should have been living on the street, I should have been in jail. And if I kept drinking the way I was going to, the way I was drinking, I would be dead. And that's the realistic idea of what alcoholism took, you know, can take me to, and I know that. But, um, so I move in and she says, you can't drink here. And I said, you know, that's, that's all there is to it. And I said, okay, that's fine. So I didn't spend a lot of time here. And I had to go make a bunch of new friends. Can't tell you one person's name, but, you know, they were my friends. And um, they gave me lots to drink. And so I said, okay. But, you know, about a month later in December, um, I had finally worked up enough courage in my own mind to say to myself, um, you know what? I'm an adult. I have a few bucks in my pocket. It's my money, which I really didn't have any. She gave it to me. But it's my money. She gave it to me. And I'm not paying for myself, but I have every right to have my alcohol in that house. It's not my house. And my brain's telling me I have every right. So I go to Costco with my sister. It takes me three hours walking around that store to finally get up enough 
to be okay with the idea to get myself a big box of wine. And I got one of those huge, I graduated through the box wine, and I got this huge box of wine, and I was going to take it home and put it in the refrigerator. Now, I wasn't a very smart alcoholic because I took it home, put it in the refrigerator, forgetting that all my family from the Bay Area and around here and everything were coming to our house that night for a Christmas party. <laughs> so I have this box wine that I worked so hard to bring into this house, and I walked by the refrigerator with my wine that I had got out of my box and saw somebody else in the refrigerator getting some. I panicked. They're drinking my wine. So as a normal person that I am, I stood guard over that refrigerator the whole night. <laughs> That's my wine. You're not having it. And I did. I stayed there the whole night trying to drink that stuff up as fast as I could. And it was a big box. You know, I was going to make it last, but now I had to drink it in one night. And so, um, so, so that didn't make me happy anyway. So, you know, to me, I find out now that's not normal thinking. That's not normal behavior. I did not know that. That's insanity. That's insanity. And so, you know, this is the progression of the disease because at that point, you know, I just, I, I was crazy. I was insane. I was doing stupid stuff all over the place. And by... Mm, January, I believe, of 95, um, I was done. And when I say I was done, I was done with life. I wasn't done drinking. I was done with life. And for me to be done with life meant that I was done with life, and, and, I, and, I, wanted, and I tried to end my life. And I ended up in a hospital because it was not successful. And, um, and I was very angry at the fact that it wasn't successful at that point. And... Um, so, in the hospital, I, I got a visit from a friend, and I was trying to explain to him why I ended up going where I had gone in my life, and, and all I could try to explain to him as far as how I felt, which I didn't do feelings, but how I felt at that time was I had this big black hole in my gut. That's all I could describe it as, is that I was empty and I had a big black hole. And... Um, and he didn't understand it, but you know what? I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, and I heard other people talking about this big, black, empty hole that they felt inside of them. And that was a relief because I thought I was just weird. You know, who goes around with a big, black hole in, the, in your stomach, you know? And so, um, and that's the kind of benefits I get from here is I get to hear you guys tell me what I am because you're just like me, those of you who are alcoholics. And so... Um, so anyway, um, it took me a while still. I didn't get to the rooms until uh, in, well, I, I started coming out of force by my mother. You know, they say, how did you get here? And um, I say my mother because she pretty much told me, you know, you need to go get some help. And I met this guy. I kind of got here halfway on a court card, too, because this guy said, I have a court card. I know where I can, you can go to find out if you're alcoholic or not. And I said, okay, great. So I went here. I'd never heard of Alcoholics Anonymous before. My idea, and I came here out of anger because I was angry at everybody, thinking I was having a problem with drinking, and I wasn't, clearly. And so I came, and I was going to sit down, and you guys were going to take one look at me and say, you're not an alcoholic. You can go home. Well, you didn't do that. You shook my hand. You walked into and you told me to keep coming back. Pissed me off. So I came back the next day, <laughs> and I sat over there, and this person was supposed to tell me that, and all he did was shake my hand, welcome me, and told me to keep coming back. Well, being a pissed-off alcoholic that I am and very stubborn and I'm going to find that person who's going to tell me to go home, I kept coming back. And 
My first God shot was I walked out of the room, picked up one of those brochures or pamphlets, didn't know what it was, just just, just took it, and I have no idea why, went home, and um, and like I said, I was very successful in school, I had to be, and I had grabbed the test, and if you haven't heard of the test, and if you're questioning whether you're an alcoholic or not, please grab one, and if you don't, God will make sure you do. And I grabbed this, took it home, and took the test, and I was very excited because I actually thought, yeah, it's going to be on paper, and I'm good at taking tests. I'm going to pass. And so the problem being at that point for me was I did pass. I did pass. And once I passed, I found out I was an alcoholic. This did not ring true with me in a good light. This was disastrous in my mind. Because my perception of an alcoholic was the person who was living on the street, on a bench, under paper, with an alcohol bottle next to their side, and um, homeless. And that's where I could have been and should have been and will be if I ever go back out. But that's who I thought I was going to have to be because I didn't know there was a solution. And um, so I started crying. I mean, and I don't cry. I didn't then. And, and I just started crying and wailing and just, just hysterically. And my mother heard me from the other side of the house. And she comes running back to the bedroom and says, what's wrong? What's wrong? And Because she was worried because I don't do that. And I, and I just looked at her and I had her do the test. And I was like, I'm an alcoholic. And she looked at me and she's jumping up and down with joy going, yes, I know. And <laughs> it's like it's about time, you know. And, um, and you know what? The good news is, 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 because I had come here and you guys welcomed me and told me to keep coming back, all that stuff that I was so pissed off about, I knew where to go. And you guys took me in. And you guys told me, we accept you for who you are. You guys told me, we will take you with your baggage. We will take you with everything that you are. You're just like us. Welcome. Keep coming back. And so then I got to open up my ears and hear some stuff. Here's some solutions to my problems. And... um and the first thing that I got to hear was spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. And you guys told me I didn't have to be perfect. What a relief. It was like a load lifted off of my shoulders. I didn't have to be perfect. And the second thing I heard, which was a revelation to me, was that um, you do not have to drink today if you so choose not to. And what I discovered was I had lost the choice of whether I drink or not. I had lost that choice. I did not know how to not drink. But I don't, I have not lost a choice to work a program. I have not lost a choice to choose recovery. And I was told that I have a disease, and it's a disease of the mind and of the body. I obsess obsess over it with my mind, and my body craves it. I have an allergic reaction to alcohol. My body does not operate with alcohol the same as a normal person. And, um... And I was told I can either treat this disease one of two ways. I can either treat it with the alcohol or treat it with recovery. And then that becomes my choice. And my choice is today is to treat it with the recovery. And the recovery for me is to do the principles that are set out in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, um, and it's, a, it's a very definite guideline of how it works. And it's a very definite guideline of a design for living, and it says a design for living. And I've never known how to live life, ever, my whole life. And today I still wouldn't know. If I stopped doing what I'm supposed to be doing through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, my life would be messed up again. I would go back into insanity. I would go back into a way of life that would lead me back to drinking again. And I remember what it was like. I remember my last drunk. 
And it was not even just the last drunk. It was the last many years of my of my drinking that was miserable. It had become not fun. In fact, for me, it had become not fun a long time before I stopped. I didn't stop because I got desperate at first. I got stopped. I, I, I came here out of anger. I stopped, though, out of desperation. But I didn't come here desperate. But thank God I got desperate enough to become willing enough to do what it takes to stay sober. I was told the beginning part of it is to be willing, and that's what I have to do daily. I have to be willing to do what I'm told to do to stay sober. And um, the biggest thing for me is that I understand the disease concept, and it talks about in the book that, that you, you really have to do your first step. It's, it's the only step that they say has to be done 100%. Because if I don't have a clear understanding that I am powerless and that my life has become unmanageable, I'm not going to be able to do what's needed for me to be done to, to be done to stay sober today. I have a very clear understanding of that. I know I'm powerless. I know that I have a disease, and I know what that disease is. And that allows me to do the rest of the um, – and I know what my life is like if I do it. It's unmanageable. And um, and I know there's a lot of suggestions that go along with um, with staying sober. But the biggest suggestion is is to get a higher power, because without my higher power, I wouldn't stay sober at all, not even close, not even close. If it was left up to me and my own devices, I would be drunk. I'm a drunk. I have to admit that to my innermost self. My life is, is based out of being drunk. That's how I operated. That's how I knew that was, that was my life. That's how I knew how to live life. And I remember when I first came here, I thought you guys were so profound. You know, it's like, how did you guys know this? You sound so smart. And then I thought, oh, my God, I'm thinking a bunch of alcoholics are smart. What's up with that, you know? And <laughs> I'm smarter than you guys, you know? And um, and I wasn't. But I, you know what? I have a little bit more knowledge today of how to live life. And it's not about that I have any more time than the next person. The only thing about me having more time than the next person is just that I have experiences to draw back on now that are sober experiences. When I first got here, the only experiences I knew were drunk experiences. That's all I knew how to go back on with my brain. Today, you know, um, if I'm having problems, if I'm having difficulties, I know what to do just based on what worked for me before, you know. And um, <clears throat> there's, it's, it's simple. The program's simple. I complicate it, you know. Um, and it's explained in the book exactly the way it's supposed to be done. But for me, I also need other people to help me to decipher through that and to really understand and to look at them and say, this is what I want. I want what you have. How do you get it? And to let them tell me, this is what I've done, this is how I've worked it, and this is where it's led me. And if I want what that person has in their life, and I want it enough for my life to have it too, I need to become willing enough to do what they're doing so that I can have the same thing. I like my life today. I get to say that today. I didn't say that 15 years ago. I hated myself. Remember, I tried to commit suicide. There's no way, chance, right now, today, sober, that I would even want to contemplate that for me. No way. I would miss out on life. When I got here, I was 30 years old. Okay, I'm giving my age away. Shoot, I do that. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was 30 years old, and I had just had a birthday. My, my sobriety date is April 3rd, 1995. I turned 30 March 3rd, and... Um, 
when I turned 30, somebody had said to me, you still have a lot of life left to live. You know, you're only 30. You still have a lot of life. Now, you would think a person would be excited about that. No, not me. Scared me. Terrified me. I was like, I can't do this anymore. I cannot live life this way one minute more. That's how I ended up in the hospital. That's sad. But that's the disease. That's the disease. That's where it had taken me. And it can take me a lot further down. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't know. There's just so many benefits to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I, and I would love to sit up here and say, this step means this, this step means that, this step means this. But I was taught that that's what a sponsor's for. The sponsor can take you and lead you through the steps. The sponsor is going to take you and lead you through how to do these steps, and hopefully it's done directly out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, the way it's shown there, the way our co-founders laid it out for us. And, um, and that's how I get to stay sober today. That's how I get to stay sober today. It is not by me. The only thing that I do is be willing on a daily basis to do what's necessary to stay sober. I didn't come up with these ideas. I didn't say this is how it works. It's not me. Everything that I do and say is being said by somebody else and talked to me out of the book. That's it. If I start listening to myself and start telling other people stuff about myself, <laughs> you're in trouble. <laughs> I'm in trouble. And, and I know that. And I know that. And, um, and I used to, I used to laugh when the old timers, or not laugh, I didn't understand when the old timers used to talk about how you know, I know less today than when I first came in. And I don't know, for me, I knew a lot then because I thought I knew a lot. Once I was around here for a few days, I thought, oh, I got it. Today, it's like, oh, my God, I'm scared. I don't want to go back out. I have a healthy fear of it. And um, I, and I was kind of scared to come up here and talk because I really thought, you know, what do I have to share? What do I have to know? What, what is it that I can give to somebody that hopefully will help keep them coming back? that'll hopefully help you guys to understand that, you know what, sober life is so much better. And it's not, for me, it's not just about not drinking. I mean, I could be here and I can just not drink. But I can tell you, doing the steps, doing life the way other people do it that I see that have the life that they have, um, it's a new way of life. I have a new reaction to life. And... That's the benefit for me to stay here. When I get to do things in life today that I feel good about, that I actually get to participate in in a productive way, that's what keeps me coming back. It's not for me just about not drinking. It's about me wanting to be here. It's about me liking me. It's about me having enough self-respect for myself to take care of myself today and not be self-destructive. You know, um, I don't know for, for a lot of alcoholics they say this, but I know for me especially, I don't do relationships good. Never have. I do them better today than I ever have, ever in my whole life. And today I get to be the best person I know how to be. And to be okay with that for myself and to be acceptable of that for myself, of myself, is a good thing. It's, it's like a milestone for me. And I get to be the best mother I can try to be. I get to be the best daughter I can try to be, the best sister, the best friend. I actually have a friend of 15 years. I thought, wow, 
I've never had a friend for more than a year. And then I could never understand where they went and why. <laughs> it's like, what did I do? <laughs> I had this one girl write me a 15-page letter, what I did, and I still put it down and say, what is she talking about? <laughs> you know, and if I went back and looked at that letter today, I'd probably say, oh, yeah, 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 <laughs> you know, I get it today. But, you know, I, I, I do. I have things in my life. I have relationships in my life today that work. And they work because I'm willing to stay sober, not just to not drink, but to live a life that actually allows me to have those relationships. And the only person I can change today is myself. And I didn't understand that when I got here either. I thought, no, if this person over here, if my son would change his behavior, I'd be okay. I would be able to deal with him. And you know what? It's about me. I have to change my behavior and my reactions and my way of thinking to be able to even be able to be in a relationship of any kind, whether it be friend, mother, daughter, sister, whatever, you know. Um, and that's a good thing because that's what, for me, life is about, is to be connected. And the other thing is, is when I got here, I thought it was really sad. I always say this, and I know those of you who know me will hear me say this all the time because I thought it was so funny. You guys would look out and say, thank you, and I do, and I thank every single one of you for keeping me sober, whether you know it or not. If Whether you know me or not, you're keeping me sober today just by being here, and I thank you for that. But I didn't get that, and they would say that, and I'd look at them and say, you don't even know me. What are you talking about? What am I doing for you? And then they'd say, and you are the most important person in my life. You're like my family. And I literally thought, how sad is that? You don't have a family. <laughs> you have to have a bunch of alkies to have a family. That's really sad. And then, you know, after being here for a little while, I turned around and looked. I didn't have a family. And I didn't become sad anymore. I became grateful because you guys were there and you, you understood me and you accepted me. And you know what? You're my family. And it's a good thing. It's not a sad thing. It's a wonderful blessing. You know? And if you don't know me, please come get to know me. Maybe, you know, I don't know, you might like me, but I like, you know, I like alcoholics. I like the way you think because you think like me, you know, and I feel okay here. <laughs> so please, you know, it, it just keep coming back. Be you. Be you. You know, that's what I got here. I get to be me to the best of my ability. And some people like that and some people don't, and that's okay. I can handle that. I used to be a people pleaser. Today I don't have to be that. Today I get to be me. And and it's not my business what other people think of me so long as I'm not stepping on their toes. And if I'm not stepping on their toes, I'm hoping that they like who I am because I do. And I used to think that was conceited, but it's not. It's not conceited. I actually do like me. You might too. So anyway, come see me afterwards. Thank you for letting me share.